Blog Talk Radio. Welcome. You're listening to Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio with your host, Darren Fatman McDuck. And now, prepare to get fat. Hey, 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 welcome back to another episode of Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio. I'm your host, Darren McDuffie, and tonight we have another exciting show for you. It feels like I've been off the air for such a long time, and I believe it was um, about a week ago when I talked to Mark McAfee regarding raw milk and wanted to remind you of that show. If you don't know what raw milk is like I didn't, probably about three, four years ago, maybe even a little bit longer than that, I had no idea what the word raw meant. Um, Mark does a great job of explaining that, and we take you through a lot of different things, talking about homogenization, pasteurization, all kinds of different things when it comes to milk. I know some people out there are still milk drinkers, and the question is, are you drinking the right kind of milk? So listen to the show and find out. That show is called The Writ of Raw Milk with Mark McAfee, and that was my last show. Tonight, we have a return guest to the show. Uh, Pam Colleen. Pam is a nutritionist, and her and I have talked at length on air, both on the air and off the air, about uh, certain things, and really excited to have her back to talk about her book, Addiction, The Hidden Epidemic. Epidemic. For many of you who have been following the news and the media, we lost a musical icon not long ago, Prince, or the artist formerly known as Prince, and Part of that, I think, was opioid addiction. He had some kind of issue with his hip, which, you know, the public doesn't know these things until after something happens. So tonight, wanted to talk a little bit to Pam about that and also get the scoop, the inside scoop, so to speak, on addiction and the hidden epidemic. And it's not so much as illegal drugs, but more so legal drugs that people are becoming addicted to. So we'll get right into that. Pam Colleen, welcome to Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio. How are you tonight? I'm great. Darren, can you hear me all right? Yeah, I can hear you good. Beautiful. Okay, it was great to be back on the show. Well, great to have you back. That's great. That's one of my favorite uh, subjects as well, talking about addiction, and you're absolutely right. Um, We have a major, major crisis on our hands. Uh, In fact, actually, addiction is our number one health problem. It's a bigger health problem than cancer, diabetes, and heart disease combined. Yeah, I was just saying before you you got on that we lost a musical icon not months ago, and a lot of people were torn up about that. And I remember I always try to let the fallout happen first and then you kind of figure out what was going on. And it seems as though Prince had some issue with his hip from performing for all those many years and all the dancing and all the stuff that he was doing, but he had a, uh, they say an opiate addiction. So, you know, Mm -hmm. the truth ends up coming out and tonight, you know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, that would be great. I mean, a lot of uh, what's happening today, of course, is we're, over-exercising, we are eating very nutrient-deficient diets, and so ultimately, and I'm oversimplifying this, you know, we're starving our brains, we're damaging our body and, and bodies in so many different ways that to try and comp- compensate for the deficiencies that we're all experiencing, we reach out to drugs to try and help us, and unfortunately, 
uh, where drugs are concerned, you know, there's a double-edged sword because uh, many of the drugs that we're turning to um, are robbing Peter to pay Paul. So while we might get some comfort from a lot of these drugs, they actually cause a lot of damage. And so the side effects are, are quite severe and, and in many cases very insidious. You know, a lot of people are grateful for the instant um, relief, but uh, are oblivious at the same time uh, to many side effects that they might be encountering. Yeah. So, Pam, what made you want to write this book? Because it's not a sexy topic and it's kind of one of those things that are kind of that kind of flies under the radar because we are so um, conditioned to believe a lot of things that we we see on TV. And my background comes from pharma. So I was always taught about adverse events and, and different kinds of things. But again, this is not a sexy, sexy topic. What made you decide to write this book? One of the reasons why uh, I decided to write the book is because we're turning our children into addicts. Our children are incredibly compromised today, and how are we going to expect our next generation to take care of us when they are already so weak to begin with? And so I see the long-term ramifications of this mood disorder and addiction epidemic combined. Uh, Our kids are so incredibly weak. They're so chronically fatigued. They have so much lethargy, apathy. You know, they can barely get out of bed in the morning, a lot of them. I mean, I'm not saying this is 100% true with every kid, but it's certainly a very pervasive problem. And so, you know, when I look at even my old high school, I see that the kids there are drinking coffee in huge amounts or caffeinated beverages. And I, I look at this phenomenon and I say, geez, in my era in high school, no, none of my peers drank coffee. Like, none. <laughs> no, it was, yeah. not, it was not heard of for teenagers to be drinking coffee. You know, parents knew it was bad for uh, a developing body and a developing brain, right? So, yet, you know, the, these caffeinated beverages are everywhere today. And caffeine is a very powerful stimulant. And like I mentioned earlier, you know, a stimulant is going to rob Peter to pay Paul. So as these kids are dependent on uh, caffeine and let's, let's not forget sugar, of course they're using potentially two stimulants. And in each case, you're robbing Peter to pay Paul. And over time, you know, you just keep wearing down, wearing down, wearing down the adrenal glands. And so, and the adrenal glands carry some very important roles in our bodies. And if they're not working properly, you're you're not going to be energized, you're not going to be a happy person, you're not going to sleep well at night, you're not going to wake up in the morning feeling refreshed, you're not going to have a great libido, and so on and so forth. Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, Getting into uh, a little bit about legal drugs versus illegal drugs, because when people think about drugs in our society, they tend to think about the illegal drugs, cocaine, marijuana, um, different types of things that are out there now, but it's more so the legal drugs. You mentioned caffeine, which people don't even think caffeine is a drug, but it actually is. But it's more of the legal drugs that people are becoming addicted to. I mentioned Prince and the opioids and, you know, things like Vicodin and other things of that nature. But kind of distinguish between what's going on, because, again, people think more of the illegal drugs versus the legal drugs and the addiction behind those. Well, I think part of the problem is is that, yes, it's the availability that is, that is a huge problem. Um, then you have uh, potential very specialized circumstances where, for example, people are uh, in pain and they're uh, being prescribed an opiate 
and the doctor overprescribes the opiate and the individual can't get enough of it because the threshold keeps increasing so they start doctor shopping or whatever so they just keep increasing their dose and um, become terribly addicted to the drug um, and then there's not enough awareness within the doctors to start recognizing this phenomenon or trying to do more things to prevent the phenomenon from happening in the first place so there's many, many different dynamics. And to, so for me to talk about malnutrition as being a cause is a bit of an oversimplification, but I do think it's something that has got to be instrumental in terms of anybody's recovery. Without uh, recognizing uh, malnutrition in the area of addiction, we're doing people a great disservice. Yeah. Um, did you want to say something else? I'm sorry. Well, absolutely. I mean, there's... With, when I'm working with anybody who's coming off of any drug, no matter what the name of the drug, um, one of the things I have to do is make sure that they're getting enough animal fat in the diet um, because we need that animal fat to keep the blood sugar stable. And that's one of the reasons why people might turn to certain drugs is because their blood sugar is just, you know, all over the map. And... So they're very destabilized because they're not eating enough food over the course of the day. And so they will turn to the drug to try and compensate for that. And that's, that's got to be the backbone of getting anybody into recovery. I have um, uh, some heroin addicts that I've worked with, some opiate addicts that I've worked with, and to get them to eat three square meals a day, they're so destabilized, it's hard, it's hard for them to even ima- imagine eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Uh, you know, that the drug is really what's getting them through the day. And so sitting down to eating three square meals a day is, is, you know, inconceivable for a lot of them. Yeah. What causes us to become addicted? It it seems like there's a lot more stress in our world today. Um, People don't know how to relax. Um, More people are depressed. More people have anxiety. Um, Is that why we are facing um, this addiction epidemic? Exactly. So essentially the mood disorder is the precursor to the addiction epidemic. And why are we seeing the mood disorder epidemic? It's because we are so incredibly malnourished. So if you look at the evolution of our diet since, uh, let's just even say, uh, before World War II, right? Before World War II, we were actually fairly healthy as a society. Um, and largely this had a lot to do with the fact that we did sit down religiously and eat uh, bacon and egg style breakfast, a meat and potato style lunch and dinner. That was still very much the norm. We didn't have red meat phobia. We didn't have fat phobia. We didn't have cholesterol phobia, liver phobia, dairy phobia, you know, um, (laughs) gravy phobia. We didn't have any of those types of food phobias before World War II. You have like people born, uh, you know, in, in 1990 or 2000, you know, the younger people today, they may not realize how new this phenomenon really is, you know, that really throughout all of human history, we didn't suffer from fat or animal uh, fat uh, phobia or cholesterol phobia, that throughout all of human history, we celebrated those foods. And um, it was only after World War II where there was a dramatic change in our diet and a change for the worst. So we, um, after World War II, we started adopting uh, a low-fat diet. So that's when we started uh, developing, you know, uh, animal fat and uh, cholesterol phobia. So we started drinking low-fat dairy products or eating low-fat dairy products. We started buying 
more lean meats. We started peeling the, the skin off our chicken and turkey. You know, we started um, changing our diet radically after World War II, and that's when you start to see more and more and more mood disorders uh, come to the surface. So if, if you look at my example, for example, in the 1970s as a teenage girl, I was uh, told I had to eat a low-fat diet, so I started drinking skim milk. Uh, I would be following 500-calorie-a-day diets because I thought I was fat. Of course, I wasn't, but that's what was being marketed at the time, so you end up buying into it, unfortunately, or at least I did. And, you know, I was eating a totally nutrient-deficient diet. I was getting hardly any nutrition in my diet whatsoever, and... So if I fast forward 10 years from the time, you know, from being a teenager into my 20s, for example, uh, that's when I collapsed with chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia. Mm. And that, so that was in the 1980s. So in the 1980s, you see a huge increase in especially women collapsing with chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia. And I was just one of the lucky ones that I did not turn towards drugs. I was just really, really lucky in that regard. It, I don't. I think when I was really, really sick, I was so sick that I couldn't tolerate sugar. I couldn't tolerate caffeine. That those drugs made me feel really, really sick. So for some strange reason, I didn't go down the path of seeking out drugs for comfort. Um, but that doesn't, you know, that, I, that still tells me though that I have to have empathy for anybody out there struggling who has turned towards drugs to try and find relief from their fatigue their depression, their brain fog, their anxiety, their OCD, their insomnia, and so on. So they're no different than I felt. I know that. It's universal. I mean, I work, this is what I, I work with every single day is clients struggling with those types of conditions. And in some cases, drugs are an issue, and in, a, in some cases, drugs are really not a big issue. But they're struggling at any at any um, degree, at any way you look at it, that they're they're saying, you know, I'm not going to settle for feeling this way. And so if I have a client who's on an opiate drug or if I have a client who's addicted to sugar or caffeine or meth or Prozac, for me, a drug is a drug is a drug, right? Mm -hmm. If people need a drug to get through the day, then I know that they're unwell and I know that the root cause of the problem is the adrenal glands. Uh, So I have to work with the physical in order to turn the mental back on, you see? And that's yet another reason why I wrote my addiction book is because I wanted people who have addiction issues to understand that they are not struggling with a personality flaw or a moral defect that what they're really struggling with is a physical problem yeah i wanted to get into a couple of questions there and you kind of brought up just one of them um, a lot of times we think addiction because i remember i used to think like this when i would see someone overweight before i got into nutrition and got a little bit deeper into it when i saw someone overweight i would always say well why doesn't that person just eat less food and kind of relate that to willpower, but it's not about willpower, is it? No, not at all. Our, um, I mentioned the adrenal glands earlier, and the adrenal glands actually control the balance of minerals in our body. And so when the minerals go out of balance, and that happens as we stress the adrenal glands, then this has an effect on our metabolism. And so what's really happening is we're throwing off our metabolism, due to the many, many different kinds of stressors that we're exposed to today. And some of these stressors are actually very invisible. You know, so we have environmental stress, we have emotional stress, and we have nutritional stress. And so we have, um, you know, hundreds if not thousands of different stressors that are taxing our adrenal glands. 
And so once we imprint the stress on those adrenal glands, that imprint can have a permanent effect on the body unless people learn how to undo that imprint. And so that's why, Darren, that's why so many people have trouble um, uh, burning their fuel. That's why so many people may be following diets and never, you know, losing weight uh, Mm -hmm. is because they haven't addressed fixing the adrenal glands and getting those minerals in balance so that um, their metabolism is burning their fuel at a normal rate. And so that ties into people who are struggling with obesity just as equally as it can uh, tie into people who are uh, over-burning their fuel. In other words, people who are in what I call fast oxidation, so they're eating and eating and eating all day long and they can't gain any weight. They're painfully thin. Uh, and they're just as, uh, they're very sick as well, just as sick as people who are struggling with obesity. Yeah, I um, wanted to ask you something and just get your opinion on this because um, I tend to get in these YouTube, well, I call them YouTube tirades. <laughs> when okay. I, click on okay. some, I, I, I click on something on YouTube and then it leads me to something else. And before I know it, I'm four or five hours into something. And I'm a bit of a curious person and I uh-huh. all, I'm always learning. But one of the things I came across when I was uh, viewing YouTube one time was uh, something about mind control. And one of the strategies that they use to help to um, bring about this mind control or controlling other individuals is Mm -hmm. the um, food deprivation. They don't give them any food. We don't have food deprivation, but we have so much food. But yet people are, you mentioned it earlier, malnourished. Is this one of the reasons why we are suffering from some of these conditions like depression and uh, anxiety and all, all these other behavioral conditions just simply because we're not getting the right type of, of nutrients yeah. versus yeah. depriving people of food? Well, if you w- want to look at it, uh, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I bring it down to greed and incompetence, by the way. Rather than calling it a conspiracy, I say it's about greed and incompetence. Yeah. It's, it's, neither, it's six of one and a half dozen of another in terms of what camp you want to come from here. But essentially, the low-fat diet, which is the big problem, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, our government, yes, has been, you know, promoting a low-fat diet now for several decades. And if you, I don't know if you read my survival book, it's called Survival of the the Unfittest, and it's about the decline of human sexuality, uh, which does also tie into this addiction story as well. But, you know, when you put people on a low-fat diet, you're going to reduce their fertility. So population is going to go down. And uh, we see that here in Canada. We see that here in, uh, we see that south of the border in the United States. Uh, There are countries all around the world where you're, you're seeing fewer babies being born. Uh, and so it's not happening in every country, but it's, it's, there are some countries where definitely there are a few bit fewer babies being born. So, you know, on th- that can control the um, population right there is just putting people on a low-fat diet. The other uh, thing you can talk about where um, food is, is uh, concerned, of course, is throughout all of history, governments have known that you can control people via the, su- the food supply. Mm-hmm. Governments also know that you can control people uh, via drugs, right? So if you malnourish people, <laughs> you brain starve them, and they turn towards drugs, of course, you, then, you know, it's, it's um, a win-win situation essentially for many, uh, many high, high players out there. But it's not working for us, the people. That's the trouble. It's not working for us, 
that we're so miserable and unhappy and that, you know, we're so exhausted and we can't think straight and our kids can uh, barely function at school. And when they do graduate from school, you know, and they actually, are they strong enough to, to take on a full-time job? You know, a lot of these kids today, you know, there's a very high youth unemployment rate today. And I don't think it's because they can't find work. I think it's because they're too tired to get to work. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about kids for a bit because you, you struck a chord there. Um, many of our kids are medicated. You know, as soon as they, uh, the kid can't pay attention in class, I was one of those kids that could not pay attention in class. It's just, and I figured out later on it's because I was bored more so than, you know, I had ADD or anything. But now parents are more apt to medicate their kids. Is this a way, is this a gateway into addiction because they're medicating the kids earlier? Yeah, so it's a so if they're using things like Ritalin, um, you know, it's a stimulant, and you know how much uh, like when they're on the Ritalin, how what's their dose initially, you know, and then it kind of wears thin, so they have to up the dose again and then up the dose again, you know, um, and then when the kid ends up in their 20s and 30s, what are they going to need then in order to have an attention, right? Um, an attention span. So it's 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 about it's kind of like a great gateway drug in a sense, because I mean I know that they call marijuana a gateway drug and so on, but um, that's an oversimplification because any drug can be a gateway drug, simply because they wear and tear on the adrenal glands in many cases, and the more you wear and tear on the adrenal glands, then you know it only stands to reason that you're going to need more drugs in the long run to try and get yourself through the day. So, um, so in the morning, people might need, like nicotine is an interesting drug because it can act as a stimulant or a sedative, right? So some people in the morning, you'll see them having their cigarette and their coffee and possibly even some sugar, okay? So there you have three potential stimulants working in unison vis-a-vis what that person might require. So they'll dose themselves. They'll figure out how much of each they need in order to try and get to work in the morning. But by 4 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon, the drugs are all kind of reaching, uh, you know, sort of hitting rock bottom, and they know they, if they overdo those drugs that they won't potentially go to sleep at night. Now, some people find nicotine puts them to sleep, so the nicotine is, might solve that problem. But guess what? A lot of people, the nicotine isn't enough, so they might turn to alcohol as their downer at night to try and get them to sleep at night. So people are always adjusting their drugs, and some of the ones I just mentioned are some of the more common drugs. Um, you know, marijuana is a, a very favorite drug for a lot of people right now. A lot of the same marketing that has been used to market cigarettes is now being used to, to market uh, marijuana. Uh, and I see some devastating side effects from people who have become dependent on marijuana. Uh, you know, a lot of people want to believe it's a really safe and effective drug, and it's it's far from that. Uh, the you know, I see the a motivational disorder, the memory problems. Um, I see these people loaded in cadmium and nickel, which you know, very toxic metals. I see all sorts of different symptoms developing from people who are addicted to marijuana. But it's interesting how the the marijuana camp has has basically used the. Um, cigarette industry as a template to do very similar marketing uh, to get their drug out there. 
And I always say to people, listen, if you need a drug to get through the day, then that's telling me that you're not healthy. And why not just get healthy first so you don't need to depend on a drug? But, you know, I'm maybe too much of a pragmatist. <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, I think it's escape. A lot of people are looking to escape their lives. I think it's a deeper issue, you know, that's going on. I think it's uh, some physical stuff that's going on, but also there's um, some stuff going on as far as, you know, looking to escape the everyday life. Uh, a lot of people are just not happy. Um, well, I live in Florida. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Tell me the rest of your story, Darren. No, go ahead. I'll finish later. You go no, ahead. I'm going to say, I, I was going to say we talked about kids, and I live in Florida, and Florida seems to be, you know, we have an older population. A lot of older people come to retire here, and one of the things that um, is seen here is you have a lot of seniors on a lot of different medications. And I remember from my pharmaceutical days that the more medications you take, the more propensity you have for adverse reactions. So I wanted to talk a little bit about that um, within the senior population because adverse events can can really be fatal. Mm-hmm. Oh, most definitely. And they're on, gosh, cocktails of drugs, 15, yes. 20 medications at a time. So, yeah, I mean, these drugs can actually, especially in combination, kill people. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, people are not asking enough questions, period. Uh, I mean, it's like I was talking to a, a retired teacher the other day, and she said when her kids would, you know, when the kids were on a break, they'd be in the back of the classroom comparing how many drugs they're, they're on and the dose. They would, oh, my dose is higher than your dose, and oh, I'm on more drugs than you're on. And this was just in primary school, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And the same the same things happening uh, with our seniors is that they're put on these cocktails of drugs, and um, obviously these drugs are just making them all sicker. But you know the drugs are being promoted as something that's going to make you healthier, and it's far from the truth because the, every year that that person is relying on a drug or many drugs to allegedly make them healthier, they're avoiding fixing the root cause of the problem. So inevitably, not only are they dealing with the side effect of the drug, they're also dealing with the fact that they're ignoring what's making them feel sick in the first place. So they're not really, for example, going to fully address diet the way they should be. They're not possibly going to be resting as much as they should be. they're not, you know, looking at many, many different other aspects of their lives that are going to make them healthy, genuinely so, versus a drug that is going to uh, make them more toxic and make them sicker in the long run simply because they're being used as a red herring. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but that's what I see happening all. I mean, vaccines are very similar too, right? Because, you know, the vaccine industry uh, markets their products as something that's going to make the population really healthy you know that's what they're that's how they're marketed right vaccines are marketed uh, to to make us healthy right and we spend yeah. billions and billions of dollars every year on vaccines and we keep getting sicker and sicker and sicker so i i say to the government i say why don't you take those billions of dollars <laughs> and actually teach people how to prepare three wholesome meals a day and make sure that you know there's some accountability so everybody you know returns to the way we used to eat when we were much healthier. Yeah, it just seems as though we are we have so much knowledge but yet we are we're going so far away from 
you know, the basics and people are, are getting, are not well. And there, we keep going further and further away from the simple things, the way that life used, used to be. And it just seems like, I don't know. It just seems like we're, we're getting smarter, but in a way we're getting uh, dumber as well. well. There's a lot of things behind that. A lot of it is because of the information overload we're getting on the internet. So you go on the internet and, you know, this site promises you this and another site promises you that. And so you, there's a lot of confusion in that realm. And then you have the other component where people are chronically fatigued. Uh, they might be able to work a nine to five job, but by the time they get home, they're so exhausted and they're so overwhelmed by all this information that all they can do is, you know, watch reality TV. Uh, so, you know, the, everything is all kind of is set up that one system is essentially enabling another system, and it keeps everybody in this state where they just feel like they're spinning their wheels. They they might remember having energy when they were a teenager. If they're lucky, they remember having some real energy in their lives, having really good cognition, wonderful creativity, enthusiasm, and so on. They might remember those feelings. Um, um, and they kn might know that they have a goal to try and get back to feeling that good. So they fight hard, and they may fight harder than the average person because they have a memory. But a lot of our young people today are born sick, so they have no real incentive to try and feel better. And that's the scariest thing to me that's happening out there today, is people are just basically you know, settling for being in this bad mood. And uh, which in turn would mean um, the drug use is not going to go down anytime soon. You mentioned a little bit about um, blood sugar regula regu regulation. Regulation. Can't talk. Sorry. But um, okay. <laughs> it's been a long day. Um, one of the things that got me into exploring more about blood sugar regulation and carbohydrates in general was um I, I stumbled across a lecture by Russell Blaylock, and on that lecture, he talked about how they took uh, prisoners, the worst, the worst prisoners, violent offenders, and they ended up changing their diets. And what they found was some of those uh, violent offenders were hypoglycemic. Um, and mm -hmm. then also I stumbled across another article. I was just reading something one day, and they linked hypoglycemia to alcoholism like a lot of people are using alcohol to raise their blood sugar levels which can cause you know behavioral problems and we're seeing a lot of this in our society now so I kind of wanted to talk about a little bit about carbohydrates blood regulation this is a loaded topic blood, blood sugar <laughs> regulation and you know, the the fallout from that, the hyperglycemia, the hypoglycemia, and how that can affect us. And a lot of people think if we just go and I just get a pill for this, when it could be, you know, something really simple is just regulating your blood sugar. Oh, yeah. You'll notice, uh, you know, it, no matter how sick somebody is, if they're eating three square meals a day, which would mean they'd have a better blood sugar control, they're going to start feeling better. I'm not necessarily saying it's enough to get people back to running on all eight cylinders, but they're going to notice an improvement in their moods. Uh, so, yeah, absolutely. You, you know, to learn from our ancestors who were happier and were healthier than us, uh, is they would eat plenty of animal fat at breakfast, at lunch, and at dinner. And so that kept their um, blood sugar stable over the course of the day. And by keeping the blood sugar stable, of course, this would stabilize the mood. Uh, so, as I mentioned earlier, 
I have to make sure that my clients are able to produce, you know, three square meals per day, that they're going to, you know, put the meal together, sit down and eat three square meals per day, per day, every day, seven days a week, 365 days of the year. Because as soon as they start skipping meals or waiting too long in between meals, then I know their blood sugar is going to crash and they're going to have their cravings you know, the cravings are going to be that much more pronounced, right? So um, we've got to, to win at mood issues. We've got to make sure people are returning to basics, like you said, and eat those, you know, three square meals a day, the bacon and egg style breakfast, the meat and potato style lunch and dinner. And I say, the, I say that very figuratively. Of course, it doesn't have to be potatoes. It could be cooked broccoli, cooked cauliflower, cooked beans, something along that line, cooked spinach. You know, lathered in butter, of course. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, you talk <laughs> about, like, those are foods that we happily ate uh, before World War II. So you're absolutely right that, um, you know, when uh, they've studied prisoners and so on, um, alcoholics, yes, they have terrible blood sugar control. So if people are going to, you know, have any takeaway points from this interview, the one thing, the number one thing you have to do to help support your mood and hopefully reduce addictive cravings is to eat your three square meals a day religiously. I'm, take, I'm talking, like I said earlier, seven days a week you've got to get into that routine. And, uh, and you'll notice, Darren, when people are struggling with mood disorders and addiction, you'll, if you sit down and talk to them, you're going to hear them say, oh, they skip breakfast, or oh, they might only eat one meal a day, or oh, they don't have an appetite, or whatever the case may be. So you're going to hear all sorts of very irregular habits coming uh, from people who, who have mood disorders and addiction. I think people need to look no further than when, you know, you don't eat, you tend to get grumpy. I know I do. It's like when I want to eat, I want to eat. So, so it's like you get grumpy, so you that's... Uh, truth enough that you need to be eating um, a square meal. Um, I want to get into veganism, vegetarianism, but I don't want to, I know there's people out there who are vegan and vegetarian, but um, animal fats versus plant-based. And you mentioned how animal fats help um, regulate blood sugar, but I wanted to get more into the copper thing because what I noticed um, from just looking at things and, and being an eye out there and just being curious is that people who are vegan or vegetarian tend to have more uh, behavioral issues. Like they're more mm-hmm. moody. Some people have mm-hmm. social disorders. And in the book, you talk about copper and the plants being more, providing more copper and not enough zinc. Talk about mm-hmm. that a little bit. Oh, it's it's the backbone of what I do. So my clients were either near near vegetarian, vegetarian, or vegan. Uh, the sickest of my clients are going to be the ones who were vegan, and that includes me, by the way. I'm a recovering vegan, so I can't say enough bad things about following both either a vegetarian or vegan diets, or near vegetarian for that matter. They're all bad diets, <laughs> you know. Uh, so I can be just as critical of a near vegetarian diet as I can be of a vegan diet. It's just unfortunate that the, the vegans are going to be that much more malnourished, and they're going to have some pretty uh, tragic symptoms. But um, what happens is exactly what you just described. So uh, they're eating a copper-rich diet because they're eating 
Uh, the emphasis of their food, is, of course, is going to be on plants. So plants tend to be high in copper, low in zinc. Animal foods tend to be high in zinc and low in copper. And since humans have developed and evolved on animal foods, of course, um, you know, we're, you know, transitioning to a plant-based diet is is brand new to us. It's not, it's foreign to us. We, we haven't evolved in this way, so it contradicts our uh, healthy biochemistry. And so um, all of my clients are what are known as copper toxic. They have way too much copper stored up in their bodies. And it's not just because they were near vegetarian, vegetarian or vegan. It also couples with the problems of copper pipes, the fact that uh, copper is added to city water as an antifungal. Uh, it, it's also exacerbated by potentially even um, birth control pills, copper IUDs, you know, swimming in swimming pools or sitting in hot tubs. There's all sorts of ways to take in too much copper. And so what copper is going to do is it's going to interfere with the function of the adrenal glands. Because as far as the adrenal glands are concerned, all this excess copper is extremely toxic. And it's the job of the adrenal glands to send a message out in the body to grab at that copper and uh, basically guide it out of the body through, you know, in the toilet. So at any rate, um, with, with, because people are so copper toxic, the mechanisms that are in place to kick this copper, this excess copper out, are too weak to do their job. So we're just so bombarded with copper that our systems have broken down and we don't know how to get rid of that copper anymore. So that's what I have to do with my clients is I've got to help methodically and systematically start pulling out that toxic copper. And the problem in doing that is that, yes, it's toxic in the host and it's causing all sorts of mood issues like fatigue and depression and brain fog and anxiety and low libido and insomnia. It's causing all sorts of symptoms. But pulling the copper out is not comfortable. So it's, even though it's not serving the host to be stuck in the body, it's really hard on the host to pull it out of hiding. And so when I'm working with my clients, I tell them they have to be as tough as a Navy SEAL to work with me because we have to get rid of some long-term damage in order to allow the body to actually genuinely and truly heal. So it's tough to get rid of the copper. It's not a straightforward, easy process at all. My clients are working with me. I've got clients I've been working with for four or five years. You know, it really depends on how sick they are when they start with me. It depends on their age. It depends on how compliant they are on my program and, and so on. So if you think about somebody who's 40 years old, it took them 40 years of accumulation, you see, to get to where they are. And to fix this problem is not going to happen in a year. It's not going to happen in two years. It's going to take time to to get that copper out of the body. But it's really the backbone of getting people to uh, back to running on all eight cylinders is I have to get rid of the copper. Yeah. I want to kind of stay on that theme of talking about vegan vegetarians and kind of morph into uh, homocysteine because uh, from reading your book, one of the things I gathered um, that raises our homocysteine is the, and, and this could be the general population as well is um, the consuming of grains, but it sticks in my mind more with vegan vegetarianism because I remember reading an article about a year or two ago where this guy was a staunch, a staunch, um, vegan, I don't know if he's vegan or vegetarian, he just had a sudden heart attack. And one of the things that raises your heart attack risk is having, now Now we know this, is that homocysteine levels are, are very high. So I wanted you to kind of 
delving yeah, into that. Yeah, and that ties in. That does tie into the copper as well, actually. Okay. But you're right. I mean, homocysteine is is a marker essentially that um, the, there's just too much inflammation going on in the body, and so. Uh, and part of that inflammation response is coming because of the copper pushing on the adrenal glands. So it's it's nice. To, I mean, I always say everything is always connected, right? Yeah. So uh, if if people are having high homocysteine, then it's not simple enough to just fix the homocysteine by giving somebody, for example, B vitamins. Um, I wish it were that cut and dried. And if somebody wants to try that and it works for them, that's great. But if they haven't gotten rid of the copper, it's going to be really hard to get the homocysteine under control. Um, so it is a prevalent factor. It is a very um, prevalent issue. I don't know in the United States how much um, homocysteine testing is done as part of a, a yearly physical, for example. But I know here where I live in Ontario, you have my uh, like here in Ontario, most a lot of the testing is covered by the government. Um, but I don't. I think people have to pay out of pocket for a homocysteine test. I'm not sure how it works in the United States, but um, very few people know about it as a marker for, for heart disease or inflammation or any of those types of conditions. But it's a, uh, you know, it's not a straight. It's, it, if taking B vitamins is going to help you, great. But um, if that's not enough, then you still have to look at the copper as a factor. Yeah. Um, getting into a little bit more about uh, cholesterol and its importance, because I believe in the book you said 60% of our brain is made up of cholesterol. And when you look at something like statins, which are lowering our cholesterol, I'm wondering if that has a legitimate gripe. I can have, anyone can have a legitimate gripe about having a behavioral or mood disorder when you're lowering the cholesterol because obviously it's going to affect the brain, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So where cholesterol, like um, I think in my book I have um, a, a small section on low-fat diets and how they contribute to um, mood disorders, and that ties into the low cholesterol. So if you're low-fat, you're going to be on a low-cholesterol diet as well. And we need that cholesterol in order to build hormones, for example. Uh, we need that cholesterol, just like you mentioned, we need that cholesterol to, um, to help, help essentially with the structure of the brain, right? Um, we, we need that cholesterol essentially to help build the cell membrane. So, and as they say, you know, you're only as healthy as your cell membrane. And, you know, yet cholesterol is one of the main building blocks building blocks for the cell membrane and it's crazy that we've been on this low-fat diet because essentially uh, what that means is we're falling apart at the seams we don't have the glue to bind the cell membrane together and uh, so you know if you feel like you're falling apart at the seams and you've been on a low cholesterol diet you know that's uh, you know, maybe that maybe you've just had a you know some people have just had a revelation because that's how I felt when I was a vegan. I felt like my body was falling apart at the seams. <laughs> like, oh God, I didn't, I didn't have the cholesterol to, to, you know, bind my body together. Essentially, I, you know, I had the chronic pain and I had, you know, the chronic fatigue and, you know, all all those types of symptoms. My memory, I had no memory at all. I mean, you look at uh, Alzheimer's disease or dementia. I mean, you you look at the low fat diet for those problems. You know, 
I mean, yes, metals will play a role as well, but, you know, we have to have the cholesterol and, uh, you know, present in the fat. We have to have those things present in our diet in order to support brain function. Getting into neurotransmitters and uh, obviously epinephrine, dopamine, uh, things like that. And uh, it was, man, maybe about a year ago, I was supposed to have Julia Ross on and we got everything crossed up and hopefully I'm going to get her on the show uh, in um, maybe October or November before I close out the year. She's writing another book. So, but um, going back to those things, the neurotransmitters and our diet and the precursors to those things, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what's going on? It, it just seems like I want to use this term, and then I don't want to use this term, but it just seems like everybody's going nuts now, going bananas. Yeah. And I'm wondering if it's, it's just poor diet, uh, stressed mm-hmm. out, all kind of things that are in the mix right now. Yeah. What's going on? Well, you're talking about the, when you're talking about the neurotransmitters, um, you know, the amino acids essentially build the neurotransmitters in the brain. And yet, you know, when you were talking about amino acids, you cannot exclude fat because fat and protein obviously happen together in nature. So when I talk about protein here or amino acids, do not set that aside, you know, from the fat. So I don't want anybody running out there taking, you know, protein powders, right? So, so the the neurotransmitters are built from the amino acids. And one of the things that has to happen for us to actually properly absorb the complete protein from chicken or beef or eggs or what have you is we have our stomach acid has to be in the correct pH for us to break down the protein into the amino acids so that they can you know build our muscle and at the same time even you know fuel our neurotransmitters right so one of the things that's going awry is that we're not eating enough animal foods in our diet today. Another thing that is, has gone awry is we've destroyed our digestion, yeah. right? And so because our digestion is so weak, uh, when we eat animal foods, we may not break them down properly in our digestive tract. So we may not fully uh, absorb those amino acids and therefore properly fuel our neurotransmitters. So I always tell my clients, I want you to trick your stomach into thinking it's acidic because it's probably not acidic enough. So some people might take uh, hydrochloric acid, betaine hydrochloric acid in their um, regimen. Uh, some people are more favorable for people, including things like raw sauerkraut in their diet um, or other lacto-fermented foods, which are nicely acidic and will help you break down your meals as you, as you eat them. Uh, they're great di- digestive aids, in other words. So even kefir and yogurt, right? So those are things that you should be including in your meals to help, you know, help you assimilate the food that you're you're uh, taking in. Yeah. That, does that all make sense? Because uh, the, the stomach, the digestive system is a pretty hot topic <laughs> for me. Anyway. Yeah, you know what? I was going to ask you about um, just gut flora because a lot of people out there have what I would term bad guts. And, and even breaking down food and not necessarily getting the nutrients that they need can can kind of resolve itself in just not having, you know, behavioral problems and, and, and brain disorders in general. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, like, I mean, the lacto-fermented foods are just pure medicine. I mean, they're so good for you, right? So, you know, eating those with your meals is, is going to help you hopefully better assimilate um, your meals. 
but and I think you and I have talked about coffee enemas in the past. I mean, there's another yeah. thing uh, that has gone awry with the digestion is, and this gets really complicated. Um, but essentially, you know, the the bile because of the copper toxicity, the bile gets really really thick. Uh, like toothpaste, right? And it becomes more prone to forming gallstones. So uh, I can guarantee you that, you know, the vast majority of your listeners have hundreds, if not thousands, of gallstones trapped in their bile duct system. And so even if the liver is strong enough to produce bile, enough bile, that is, um, it's probably not getting through the bile duct system properly. So you have to, on the one hand, you have to tone the liver via the coffee enemas, but, you know, you also have to identify and fix the, the gallstones, and, and that's doing the liver gallbladder flush. So it's what I basically call it is optimizing, you know, bile production and flow. It's really important to get the bile production up and the flow improving. And so and that's what I have to do with my clients. It's an ongoing saga with my clients. We talk about it a lot, and um, I have a support group that I use for my clients, and and uh, it's probably one of the most popular conversations we have is about the liver gallbladder flush. Uh, because as soon as we can start getting those gallstones out of there, then that's when usually my clients start reporting that they're feeling better. Mm-hmm. Something that's rarely mentioned and I wanted to touch on and wanted you to, to talk a little bit about that, and you, you talk a little bit about that in the, the book itself, is infections. A lot of people have infections. They don't really know that they have <laughs> infections. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that can can result in behavioral issues as well because you have an infection in your body. You don't know you have an infection. So um, kind of expand on that for me. Oh, yeah, I see this a lot. So um, my trigger before I collapsed was being exposed to mold. And that, you know, I got a terrible infection from that. And um, that... You know, I had no immune system, basically, so I, I collapsed with chronic fatigue and you know, basically lost most of my 20s and 30s. So, you know, infection was my last straw. And um, when I'm working with my clients and we start manipulating, you know, the minerals and start getting the immune system turned back on again, uh, as they get stronger and stronger and stronger, and old infections are going to come out of them. So almost all of my clients are going to get an extraordinary amount of symptoms such as the flu, colds, uh, sinus infection, lung infections, inner ear infection, right? They're, they're going, even shingles, things like that. I'm going to see a host of infection come up when I'm working with my clients. And I warn them all in advance. I say, this has to happen so that you can get well. So you're absolutely right, Darren. Those infections burrow or sequester deep into the the body. And when you don't have any energy, they stay stuck in the body and they will linger and cause and essentially wreak havoc on your health, mental and physical health, right? Mm -hmm. So, and, and I have to, as I'm working with my clients and we're moving things like copper, of course, these infections come up and they will manifest themselves as they're working with me. And that's why I'm such a big fan of sauna therapy because you can try and cook those infections out or try to keep them under control by uh, applying, you know, your body or exposing your body to heat. 
Um, and because that's what Hippocrates used to say, you know, give me a fever and I can cure any illness, right? So right. Uh, if, you can, if you can synthetically induce a fever through a hot bath or a sauna, you might be able to get some of these infections under control when, when and if they do come out. But, um, but there's no question that, you know, if people are struggling with chronic health problems, there's going to be uh, infection festering in there somewhere. Yeah. Um, I think we got maybe about five minutes left, and I wanted to get into solutions because a lot of times I think we listen to these programs and there are no solutions. You mentioned working with clients. If someone who's out there who's listening and suspects that they might have an issue with this um, addiction and they want to move forward in a more holistic way, what are some steps that they might take in order to start moving towards kicking these substances or yeah. kicking the depression or anxiety? Okay. So, um, I mean, I love what I do because my clients, if they listen, they call me Sergeant Pam. So if they listen to Sergeant <laughs> Pam, you know, I love what I do because my clients can and will get their lives back. I'm very rewarded, you know, by, by the program that I have. So, But short of working with uh, Sergeant Pam, um, absolutely every day, if, especially if you're symptomatic, you're going to want to do at least one coffee enema a day. You're going to, you know, want to do saunas hopefully every day. You're going to want to eat three square meals a day and stop over-exercising. If you're, if you're an over-exerciser, if you're jogging, if you're on a treadmill, if you're rowing, if you're doing stairs, whatever the case may be, Stop doing the cardio and start doing things like yoga or Pilates or Tai Chi or Qigong, something far more relaxing. You want to imagine that your adrenal glands are broken, like a broken arm or a broken leg. You want to uh, keep them as static as possible so that they can actually heal. And doing those things that I just mentioned, you should start feeling some improvements. I'm not saying they're going to be enough to get you back to all eight cylinders because, unfortunately, um, I've got to trick the body in some ways to, to get that copper out. It's really difficult to get that copper out. So, um, but if, like I said, short of working with me, you've got to do those things to at least try and increase the quality of your life. Um, because the trouble with weak adrenal glands and um, hidden copper toxicity is that if, if you don't deal with it, the copper just keeps accumulating year after year after year after year. Uh, and other metals will also accompany that. So. We've got to start strengthening the adrenal glands is the key, and um, and that's uh, and that that means resting as much as is humanly possible. If um, if you can get time off work and you know get three or six months worth of pure rest, that should also help you. Uh, but if you have to work part time or full time, you're going to have to learn how to rest in the evenings and on the weekends, and really exaggerate that rest. That's yeah, probably I your best people, medicine right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think people for, have forgotten how to relax. So it's just like we, we 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 tend to think it's relaxation, but we're constantly on our phones, checking our phones. It's just gotten nutty the way that we think we're, we're relaxing, but we're looking forward to the next email or looking forward from the email from our boss yeah. or something. So we don't really truly know how to relax. That's right. And so another thing I do with my clients is I teach them how to breathe properly. And uh, unfortunately, we've been taught a lot of mythology about, you know, taking deep breaths and that kind of thing. And unfortunately, that's the kind of thing that's causing us uh, more problems. So I teach my clients a reduced breathing technique, which is also really incredible for helping turn on 
uh, what is known as the parasympathetic system, which is the state of relaxation that we're all aspiring to be in, right? And yeah. um, so, so I'm actually a, I'm a Buteco practitioner now. I actually teach the breath work along with my uh, nutritional balancing program. And it's a beautiful marriage, combining the two systems, because the breathing helps calm my clients down dramatically, which is really important. It works way better than meditation, by the way. A lot of my clients can't meditate because they can't focus, right? So uh, they far rather do the breath work. And uh, like I said, it's not breath work like we imagine breath work. It's a very different form of breath work. So I, um, I got my training this year, and I'm very excited to use it with my clients seeing some tremendous results with my clients yeah i just heard about that like maybe two years ago and i bumped up into a practitioner at another job that i was working at and uh we happened to get in a conversation she was telling me about it i knew nothing about that but um that's was something that she specialized in i think she was in like the seattle area or somewhere at that time if i recall uh, correctly but um yeah i know that that's some good stuff and actually meditation is um, more breathing, but I think with meditation, a lot of people tend to think it's going to be this. I've been doing meditation for five or six years now, but I think that we tend to think it's going to be this um, thing where we're floating in the clouds, and when it doesn't <laughs> feel like that, because I mean, I'll tell anybody, I have monkey mind all. Sometimes it's just my mind just wants to jump around, and then that that on those days, I'm like, okay, let me come out of meditation. If some days are yeah. easier to focus than others, but it's all about bringing, keep bringing yeah. your mind back, keep bringing your mind back to that one point. But, yeah. Um, no. Yeah. That's great. It's great that you can yeah. meditate. It's it's a tremendous tool to have in your toolkit, Darren. That's yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. But I tell people that whatever works for you, meditation might not work for most people. Then they may do the breathing like you advise, but everybody has to find their own thing. Find what right. works for them. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Pam Colleen. Always a good conversation with you. Um, your, I did a video uh, interview with you last year, I believe, on survival of the unfittest. For those of you who are out there listening or will be listening to the podcast later on, go back and listen to that interview because that was a great interview as well. And your website is pamcolleen.com, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, it's pamcolleen.com, and I have several teaching videos at Vimeo On Demand as well where I talk a lot about some of the things we just mentioned. So. Okay, great. Hey, anything new you writing a new book or anything? Yeah, I'm working on um, another book, and it's basically going to focus on uh, my program that I use with my clients because I find it's too difficult to explain in, in, in terms of the biochemistry. It's far too complex. So instead of talking mm-hmm. about the complexities of biochemistry, I'm just going to talk about my client's experience on my program. So I'm working on that book right now. Great. Pam Colleen, thank you so much for being on. It's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on the show, and you keep up the great work there, Darren. Thank you. Have a good night. You too. Bye-bye. All right. All right. Um, So I believe Wednesday we are going to have um, nursing broth with Dr. Kayla T. Daniel. I believe that's with her. And then Friday I'm doing an interview that's going to be live again. Um, Can't remember what time it is, but I'm going to have Dr. Jonathan Wright on and actually, Pam Colleen mentioned him in the book. Um, he has a book called Why Stomach Acid is Good for You. Very excited about having him on because I know he doesn't do a lot of videos. He's a very busy guy. So I'm going to do that Friday, and that will be on for you. And then we'll go right into October. And October, the first video, the first um, 
interview is with Lisa. I think it's Lisa Eldon Good, but it's on Low Dose No Truck Zone. For those of you who, are, who aren't familiar with Low Dose No Truck Zone, um, you will be um, when we get done with that interview. And I believe she's in England, so I'm trying to make sure everything is scheduled. So we'll have to record that one and get it up a little later. Um, I had to abbreviate the schedule this October just simply because I went to a funeral. And anytime I get behind scheduling people, it's always to a disadvantage. So next month, next October, I think I only have four video, four interviews. I keep saying videos, I have no idea why, but four interviews. And on those interviews, there'll be one per week. And then in November, hopefully get back to the two interviews per week. And then um, December, I always pretty much take December off just to recharge, refuel my batteries, and then come back in January of 2017 with some new um, interviews, some new things. Still working on my new site. I actually took some pictures Friday, and those pictures are going to be up on the new site. And I'll, if you're on my Facebook friend or Facebook uh, fan page, you'll probably see some of those pictures and the new site will be up and it'll be more podcast driven store. A lot of things will be on the new site and it will be called, um, well, I'm not going to say what it's going to be called because you might go there now and try to see it, but I want to debut it when it's all done. So thanks for listening. Peace and love y'all. I'll see you Wednesday, same fat time, same fat channel. I'm out.